All right, evening to each one again this evening. A few years ago, I had meetings at a, another church. You know, how are you supposed to say this? You know, another state or another locale or whatever, so you don't give it away. But anyhow, yeah, I had meetings in another place. And I made the comment at the beginning of the week that I was looking forward to the week or enjoyed preaching or something like that. And they, they were a little taken back, or one of them then was that, like, you just don't admit that you enjoy preaching or that you look forward to sharing the word of God. And uh, he was, I guess he was blessed by that or he, someone relayed that to me later. Um, but you know, the, the longer I told Dwight this evening, the longer I preach, the longer I wonder why me up here. Um, but you know, God has called and God has given a message and we want to be faithful in sharing that with, with you. Um, yeah, the, the more mature I get, I don't know if I just realize how much I don't know or what, but it's just like, you wonder why, how, just amazed at what God does. That God, God takes finite human beings and puts them in front of people. Okay, we're gonna have a children's meeting tonight. I didn't warn you, but if you want, if the children want to come up here to the front, and I'm gonna take the liberty of moving this here if I may. Do you have any children around here? No, I think there's a couple. I think you can all squeeze into there. Okay, well. So who can remember who preached on Sunday morning? Anybody know who preached on Sunday morning? Did Dwight preach on Sunday morning? You think? You think? Did Delvin preach on Sunday morning? Did the adults know who preached on Sunday morning? <laughs> who preached on Sunday morning? It was Warren. Warren preached on Sunday morning. Okay. Now, What did Warren preach about on Sunday morning? Do you remember that? Mm. Adults. <clears throat> Do you remember who preached on what Warren preached about on Sunday morning? Moses. Moses. On Moses, okay. How many of you remembered that? How many of you didn't remember? Well, I was. <laughs> well, I would like to talk about two boys tonight. I, and I put some names on my boys here. So I have a boy named Bill. Is there anybody here named Bill? Oh, good. Uh, I have another boy named Tom. Anybody here named Tom? Okay, good. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Thy word have I hid... What's the rest of the verse say? Thy word have I hid in my... In my heart. And why are we supposed to hide God's word in our heart? That I might not sin against thee. So, we are supposed to take God's word and we're supposed to take it and hide it in our heart so that we can remember it. Now imagine, so, how many of you like to memorize verses in school? Can you do that? Okay. Is that hard work or not? 
right now my daughter and my wife are learning first Peter. And my wife says, that's too hard. And then she says, nope, I can do it. And they're learning the whole book of first Peter. That's Japanese people. Um, now, but we don't need to memorize, do we? Because we all have Bible, right? We all, all have a Bible. So we can just read our Bible. Now, just think, if you're the hostages, if you're the people who are kidnapped in Haiti, do you think they have Bibles? No. I bet you they don't have their Bibles, because I bet you they didn't have their Bible with them that day. And maybe they even had their Bible on their phone, but they probably took their phones away. So they don't have their Bible. The only Bible they have is what they have in their head, what they remember. Now, there's different kinds of people. Some people... So you come to church, and uh, Tom comes to church, and he listens to the preacher preach. And he pours in the Word of God into Tom's heart there, okay? And Bill comes the same night and pours the Word of God into his heart. And the next day, it's busy, and whatever's going on, and Tom's busy, and he kind of gets lots of other things going on, and everything that he heard the preacher say ran right out. He forgot who preached. He forgot what he preached about. It's just gone. Now Bill, he was at the same church, and he heard the same message. And the next day, he's doing all of these things, and he got busy, and he went, it didn't come out of him. It just stayed in there. And he was thinking about it, he was meditating on it. And the next Sunday they go to church, and they pour a little bit more into, uh, what's this guy's name here? Oh, Tom, okay? And Tom, he has some, he gets the word of God, and he hears about it, and he, he maybe even remembers, oh, I'm going to remember this week, and this is a good thing. And Bill hears some more about the word of God, and it gets into his life. And the next day it gets busy, and Tom comes to school, and Tom's light school, and he's studying science. And he's learning some new fact. And what do you know? Everything he learned the day before about God just kind of, whoop, just kind of runs out. He doesn't remember that because he's so busy doing other things. And Bill comes to school and he's studying and he has all this stuff he's got doing. This doesn't come out. So I have a question for you tonight. What kind of listener are you? So I hope after I've been here for six nights, you'll at least remember my name. And you should remember Warren's too, okay? <laughs> but maybe you can remember something that was said that was important. So you can remember the verse that said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay? So the next time you hear that verse, Thy word have I hid in my heart. You think about Tom and Bill, and how Tom just can't keep anything in, and Bill seems to remember everything that he got. You'll have to think about that, okay? Okay, you may go back. <clears throat> and now I have a whole pitcher of water if I need here. I'm good to go. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight.
1 Corinthians chapter 1. We think about growing in the fear of the Lord. I'd like the next few nights, I'd like to look at these. This verse is kind of a, a springboard. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let Christ be our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Becoming more like Christ every day. Keep climbing in the fear of the Lord. Climbing on the way to perfection. So our assignment is to learn how to be perfected in the area of wisdom, of righteousness, of sanctification, and and redemption. And that's... uh, I was actually assigned this verse for a weekend meetings one time, and when uh, Brother Willis Horse gave this to me, I just about had an anxiety attack right there. I was like, I'm supposed to preach about all those big words? Uh, how, <laughs> uh, anyhow, and I studied it, and oh, it was, it was such a good study. Um, so we're going to try to make it not to just be a theological well here tonight, but we're going to try to make it practical um, as, we, as we look at this. And, and this verse kind of approaches it backwards. If I was to, if I was to talk about, um, things that I would want you to know in Christ Jesus, I'd want you to know about redemption and sanctification and righteousness and wisdom. I'd probably put it in that order, but it puts it in the reverse order. So that's the order we're going to look at it. So tonight we're going to look at godly wisdom versus the wisdom of man. Tomorrow night we want to look at, at right living, at righteousness. Saturday evening we're going to look at sanctification and how God perfects us. And then Sunday morning we want to actually look at redemption, what it means to be a Christian. We are living in a world with all kinds of voices and all kinds of advice. And you hear this thing over here, uh, never mind the political events of the days, um, where we're so polarized, but we have this voice over here and we say, oh, that sounds really good, then... Oh no, I'm, I got the right idea here, but oh no, I have the right idea over here. And, and they, they all sound, they kind of make sense, but then they kind of actually contradict each other. And, uh, and we're, we're pretty gullible. How, how many of you, this isn't in my notes, but how many of you know what the dark sucker theory is? Chair doesn't, he, he, he was there last summer, wasn't he? He knows all about the dark sucker theory. Well, the dark sucker theory has been around for a long time. But the dark sucker theory is, is that this light bulb up here does not actually emit light. What it actually does is it's sucking the dark out of the room, okay? And the way we know that is, is once it gets full of dark, it gets, it gets, sucks all the dark out, it gets full of dark, it turns black, and then we gotta put a new dark sucker up there. Cause, and you can see that, right? And, and this, this theory goes on and on and on, and we were, we were trying, we were, last summer at youth camp, Jared was there, and we were trying to convince the other, the other co-director with me about the dark sucker theory. And there's, I think you can look at it online, and and you know it's you you know like a candle. You know why a candle gets hot? It's because it's sucking the dark in so fast. The friction makes it hot, and that's that's why things get hot. And and you can see it on a candle because the wick turns black because it's got all that black going into it. You know, and and the the theory just goes on and on, and. When we got all done, we said, 
we, we were looking online, and I, I pulled it up online. I said, well, here. Oh, here it says, here it says it's refuted. Okay, we won't look at that. We won't look at that over there. Um, but we said, if we had been taught the dark sucker theory, and then someone came along and told us the way lights really work, we said, nah, because we would have been convinced that that's what we've been taught. And this world is full of foolish ideas, <laughs> like the dark sucker theory. Um, but, you know, Jesus has some ideas that seem quite foolish as well. But he is wisdom. He is, what he has to say is, is correct. And the church at Corinth was, was a great book of, a great church of debate. Um, they were arguing over, um, well, they just liked to argue. That's what they did in, in Corinth. And they were promoting who was the best. Was it Peter was the best guy or was it Paul was the best guy or Paulus? And then there was those who were just above all of them. It's like, you know what? We don't follow any man. We just follow God. Like we follow Christ. He's our, he's our leader. He's, he's it. And this is their argument. Go to Acts chapter 17. And this actually is not talking about, um, Corinth, but it is talking about, um, Athens. And Athens would be a city that would have been, uh, not far off from where Corinth was, but very similar in its, in its strategies. Uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. And now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him and said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus and saying, May we know what this new doctrine is, whereof thou speakest. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know whereof thereof that these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's what they did. They just debated all this stuff all the time. They, they love to debate. Now go down to verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, huh, we'll hear this matter again. Let's, let's talk about this some more. That was their culture that they lived in. They loved nothing better than to learn some new thing and discuss it. And so the, the discussion was, that was taking place in, in Corinth was, was very common, like in the church there, with this debate over who is the best preacher. That was pretty common in, in their world because they had all the philosophers. They had Plato and um, Aristotle and Socrates and all these guys, and they would say, you know, well, Aristotle, he has the right theory. You know, this guy over here, he has the right theory. You know, this guy over here does. This is, this is pretty, pretty common. Um, so that was, that was kind of normal for their, for their society. But the other thing about their church was, was that this was a new church of a wide variety of people. There was rich people, there was poor people, there was educated people, there was non-educated people, there were slaves, there were slave masters, there were spiritual people and carnal people, um, and they're all, they're sitting there arguing among themselves. How do we do this? Um, I hope you never argue about who's the best preacher at your church. Um, I hope they all have good points. Uh, and so Paul says, I would like to define for you what real wisdom is, what, what is truth. And the wisdom that, that Paul describes, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, is so obscure to the world around us that it looks like foolishness. And as I was looking at some of the things we're going to look about tonight here, you know, when the world hears that, they're just like, oh, you're, 
you're crazy. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, going to Haiti, like, that's one of the discussions that's come up on secular media. So, you're going to Haiti with children, and you know that this bad environment down there, like, you know, why would you even go down there? Um, they're trying to figure that out. It doesn't make any sense to them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's go back there. I'd like to read a number of verses before. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Jesus, we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul said, you guys have your things that you argue about, but I'm going to present unto you the wisdom of Jesus Christ, which looks like foolishness to the world, world around you. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. Like, they, this doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and the teachings of Jesus do not make sense to the world. It just, they, they just don't get it. Uh, one time, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell you the story, and you can do with it what you want. But uh, when I was growing up, we didn't have insurance, and we didn't have insurance on purpose because, well, why would you, why would you take God's money to go pay a company to protect you in case God doesn't take care of you? Like, couldn't, couldn't God take care of you to be it before that ever happens? So we didn't have insurance. I still don't have insurance. I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I haven't quite convinced myself that I should on things I I mean, I have it on my car where I required to. But anyhow, so we had a little fire in the oven one day at our house, and. Uh, my wife was making sticky buns, and they ran over, and they started on fire, and they kind of smoked up the whole house. I mean, there was soot all the way up. We had a cathedral ceiling, and it was all up in the loft on top of the books. It was just... And I was talking to the neighbor lady, and I said something about why well, I was home cleaning the house for my wife that day, and because it was it was pretty bad. And she said something about calling the, you know, having service mass or something. I said, well, we don't have insurance. And she's like, Tony, like, shame on you. Like, you, like... It's foolishness to the world. But now, and if, if you do that, it's fine. Um, but just think about it. Don't think God can take care of that? Like, he, he really can. My my brother Leighton says he thinks that 
we've done, we got so much money and we've insulated ourselves so well that it takes some really big things to get our attention. So he said, you know, his boy had an open heart surgery. Ken just had open heart surgery. And why are all these big things happening to us? He's like, you know, it doesn't cost him anything. He lives in Canada. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's had multiple heart surgeries, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. That, that doesn't hurt. But he says he thinks it takes more things to get our attention. Like God can take care of all that from happening. Um, that's not my notes either. Uh, but those things look like foolishness to the world. They don't understand that we can have faith in God. So we're going to go to Haiti because we God can protect us. And if he doesn't, oh well, king, if you know, Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, our God can save us. And if he doesn't, that's that's fine too. That doesn't make sense to the world. So I'd like to look at some of these things, and, and sometimes we need to be reminded of the teachings of Jesus which seem foolish, because we've we've figured out that they don't really, we're not sure quite what to do with them all. But the first thing I'd like to look at is just, is just the plan of salvation. Just, just think about that a little bit from the world's perspective. Um, so God makes a perfect man and puts him in a perfect garden and then gave him a choice. And I just about wrote, that was the first mistake. Well, God doesn't make mistakes. But, uh, you know, he gave man a choice. He let God, he let man decide what he wants to do. And of course, we know what man did. He chose, he chose wrong. And so then God made another choice, which maybe wasn't so smart, or in the eyes of the world. God decided he was going to redeem this fallen man. So he, you know, I, I made it, he disobeyed, and now I'm going to like figure out how to save this guy from his wretchedness that he just made for himself. Like, it's not my problem. God says, no, I want to redeem this guy. And so God takes his son, sends him down here in the form of a man, now just think about that a little bit. You're leaving the, you're leaving heaven, and you're coming down here as as a man to be born of a virgin. Like, how much sense does that make? Like, that doesn't really make any sense. Um, like, what kind of king is that? What kind of heavenly being is this that comes down as a as a baby? So I'm at home right now. I'm going through a series on on who Jesus is, and we looked at Jesus as God and the greatness of of who He is. Last Sunday we looked at He's human. And uh, I, my girls remember this because I said, you know, Jesus was this cute, cuddly little baby, you know, and he, he was soft and smelled like baby oil or whatever. Um, I guess that's what babies smell like. Um, but you know what? He also smelled like a dirty diaper some days. What kind of king does that? When Biden travels around, what, what, you know, he, everything was made to look just perfect. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing out of place when he travels. Jesus came as as a baby. And he was here for three years and then he then he died. He allowed himself to be killed so that he could come alive again. Like, you know, like just think of the foolishness of this. This doesn't make any sense at all. And and that was because that was a problem for the Jews. You know, the Jews, first off, they didn't understand all the prophecies that were there and it they you know they thought they had it figured out but they didn't. Um, likewise I think some of us think we have prophecies figured out, and I think maybe someday we'll figure out we don't have them all figured out. But uh, the Jews, this was this was a big problem, that someone would die on a tree. That, that was a problem. It was a shame to do that. Jesus was an illegitimate son of the carpenter. Like, this, this didn't make any sense. Like, why would you do that? And then the, it says here in, in uh, Corinthians that 
it was to the Jews it was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it was foolishness. I mean, this is like this is the dumbest story I ever heard. I mean, this is as good as some Greek mythology, you know. Um, it does not make any sense at all. However, but to them that believe, um, and what verse is that here? Verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If you understand this, if you're a Christian and you see this, you're like, oh, okay, I get that. And we're going to talk about that on Sunday morning when it comes to redemption. And we're going to explain why God had to come down as a man. You're like, oh, okay, I, I get that. Now that makes sense. To those who believe, it's, it makes sense. But to the world, it seems, it seems like foolishness. His very existence is, is foolishness. But he didn't help matters much when he came down and he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Then he kind of really put some ideas out there which seemed kind of kind of foolish. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And by the way, I uh, appreciate that when I give a reference, I hear pages turn. I, that just blesses me. Um, some places the pages don't turn and some pages the phones get swiped. Um, I still like to hear pages turn. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard of them. You have heard that it was said of them in old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. How many of you like that statement? Thou shalt not commit adultery. You okay with that? Well, I, you should be. You should be really happy about that. Like that's, that's, a, that's a, one of those foundational things of Jesus Christ that, like I, one of the big things today is that a reason a woman needs a job is so that she can have her own retirement and her own finances so that if her and her husband ever split up, she can survive. Otherwise, she's at the mercy of her husband. You know, my wife, I guess she's at the mercy of me, but she doesn't worry about that. And I don't worry about her leaving because thou shalt not commit adultery. It's just pretty simple. We're just glad it's there. Right? That's, that's great. That's a wonderful thing. Um, I don't have to worry about my spouse leaving. Verse 28. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now is that, is that agreeable? You okay with that statement? Sure. That, uh, my wife wants me to be faithful to her, but she also wants me to be faithful emotionally, and she doesn't want me looking around other ladies, okay? That, that's a good, that's a good statement. It's logical. Jesus often addresses the heart, and the actions. He does both. So that, that makes sense. Verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy, thy whole body should be cast into hell. How do you like those verses? Anybody around here with no hands or eyes? I saw Cleon's missing a thumb. All right, something there, yeah. I don't think that was probably intentional. But uh, what do we do with those verses? Well, that's, that's, that's pretty dumb. I mean, that, that can't be what he literally means now. I mean, really. Jesus doesn't mean we should really cut our hand off. Well, no, just a minute. What is the context? And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. What is better, to go through life blind or to go to hell? 
go through life blind. That would be the the better thing than to go to hell. Okay. Now I think there's there's uh, power to obey without having to do this. Okay. Like I don't think we need to do this, but the point is, if you do need to do it, that would that would be the better thing to do. I don't think that plucking your eye out is actually going to help you. Okay. He's saying it could help you. It, it, it would be more profitable, but if you have a spiritual problem, just taking your eye out probably isn't going to fix that. Um, there's other ways to do that. But am I willing, how, how serious am I about going against the grain of what seems good and normal in this life so that I am whole spiritually? So how many of you use the internet frequently? How many of you think you would have trouble getting along without the internet. There's an awful lot of stuff we do on there anymore. When it first came out, it was a, it was a you know kind of a luxury. Like well, I remember the first time I had dial up, and I remember the first time I heard that you know how the you used to hear the thing dialing up you know, and I was like what in that like I'm entering this new world. This is like really a big deal. But we use it all the time. Checking my bank account balance, checking I would it just it's it's a tool. And it's a very useful tool. It's also a dangerous thing. I'll I'll admit I there there are there are temptations on the internet. Let's put it that way, okay? And I'm not saying I dwell on temptations, but I am willing to admit there are temptations there. And things that I see, and I just oops, pass over that and keep going. But really, do I need to see the oops? Do I need do I need that in front of me? And what am I willing to give up for the sake of purity? Like, am, am I willing to do that? Can you imagine? I, I have a friend in uh, in uh, Wisconsin, and uh, when I was nineteen, I lived in Pennsylvania, and we worked together on the same crew. And he was a he was a old order man, that guy. Horse and buggy, and he still is. And I, I re- went and visited him a few years ago, and he said he'll probably always stay horse and buggy. His kids might not, but he's he'll stay horse and buggy. And uh, so we went to visit him. He lives down by Bethany, there where Carl's at. And I went to visit him last spring, and got there, and he has a huge greenhouse business. I think he has a million dollars worth of inventory when it's full. And I said, how do you do this without a computer? Like, and he's he's a he's a spiritually minded kind of guy. And he's like, well, we can do facts, and we can do this, and we can do that, you know. But it's really quite cumbersome to do that. But his son uh, is horning, and he can have a computer. And so he has an office there in the building, but it's his computer, and so he does a lot of stuff on there, you know. So Richard says, I don't know how to do that, but my son does. It's it's a tool. Um, he, he says, I... I'm getting in the hot water though because someone reported to the bishop that I have a computer and this is not my computer, but I might be on the wrong side of this. And so he has to figure out what he's going to do. That's not the, the point of the story. The point of the story is what are we willing to, what Jesus said, cut off your hand if you need to. Like, and the world says that would be really dumb to do that. And Jesus says if it saves your soul for eternity, it would make sense. What about your, what about your dream job? Are you willing to give up what you really want to do for the sake of your spiritual soul? So one thing we talk about up there is when you're picking a job, 
you need to pick a job where there's a place for you to go to church. Okay? We live in the sticks. So if you want to be if if you want if you whatever, if you want to be uh uh, astronaut, okay? You can't do that in International Falls. That isn't going to happen, okay? So where are you going to have to go to do that? And then I'm like, okay, so you better have a job where there's a good, stable church, okay? So don't get a job where you have to go live in Minneapolis because there's no church in Minneapolis, okay? That's not where you want to be. Um, you better have a, you know, maybe you can move to Pennsylvania and you can, but, but that's a consideration. Don't just get a job that you want, but get a job that fits in the setting of the church, um, we have some considerations in our church about, about being part of unions. Um, we don't ban it completely, but we give some cautions there, okay? Well, then I'll just go to a church because I want to be, I want to be a road constru- on a road construction job and I want to be part of the union because I can make good money that way. Um, and Jesus says, there's more. What are, what are we willing to do? Like, are we willing to be, be poor farmers? I don't know. Are you poor farmers? What? I always thought farmers were poor, but anyhow. Uh, am I willing to be a poor whatever? Because I'm more worried about the kingdom of God than I am about about myself. It looks foolish to the world. Keep going in the chapter, verse 43. Yeah, I've heard that hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbors and hate thine enemy. But I see unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. I just want to there. Do this, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, sendeth his rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I think we're all pretty satisfied with the fact that we should love our enemies. We don't believe in war. We don't believe in killing. Like that's that's pretty simple. Like we got that. We know that's that's wrong. We're we're not going to do that. You you can't convince us to put on an army uniform. You can't convince us to be part of the war machinery. That that's absolutely not. Um, and I think there's there's a certain sense in our society that might have a bit of understanding for that and a, and a bit of appreciation for that. Um, so what do we wish would happen in Haiti right now? So when this happened, I said, these poor kidnappers, they don't know what they're up against. They just took on the king of kings and the lord of lords, and they're in trouble. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're doomed. <laughs> they're, either way, they're doomed. Furthermore, they just kidnapped 17 Americans. And there's an American government that's not going to like that very good, and there's forces that even if we don't want them to, there's forces that, this is not going to go well for them. Now, so what if the, what if the FBI or the CIA or whatever went in there tonight and cleaned house and rescued all the missionaries and everyone else died? What would be our response to that? Would we be, okay, yeah, way to go, justice is served, or we'd be like, well, you know what, that's too bad, but that's what happens. Or would we, would we feel really, really terrible that those people went to hell? Like, what would be our response in that? Or um, how about if all the hostages were killed tonight, but all the kidnappers got saved? 
How would we feel about that? See, we wouldn't want to go to war. But loving our enemies is a little more difficult. It's a little more... <laughs> when it's people I know, or people I... Family of the people I know, or whatever the case may be, um, all of a sudden it gets a little dicier. So what would you do if, if someone attacks your family and, and comes at you with a gun? So one of the girls I went to Bible school with, she asked um, one of her teachers, and I think I know who it was. Um, she asked him, so what would you do if your wife was being attacked? Well, he says, I would, I would stand there and I would pray. Now, you can do with that what you want. Well, you can do more than pray. That's, that's true. But really, God's like the greatest, right? I mean, really, God could take care of it. Like, you could just pray. That'd be fine. Um, anyhow, she didn't like that answer. She's, you know, I'm not going to marry a man like that. I'm going to marry a man that's going to stand up and defend me. And so she did. And he got into porn and she divorced him. And she doesn't have, I don't know what her status is today, but uh, it did not go well for her. We had a situation in our church one time when uh, one of our families had a foster child and the mom showed up in church during preaching and walked right up here and sat down with the foster family and asked if she could hold the baby, or the two-year-old. My dad was wading through Hebrews, and the rest of us were diligently trying to follow behind, but we were, it was going deep that morning in Hebrews, and he just really, he lost everybody right then and there. You know, we just, he kept preaching, and we tried to listen, but no one was really getting what he was saying. Um, but that resulted in the sheriff showing it up, up at our church on a Sunday morning, okay? Uh, the, she actually knew she she knew she messed up, so she called the sheriff and said, "Oh, I showed up at this church and here my child was there." Well, and Martha was like, "Now what do we do?" So she calls the social worker because we know them; we have their personal number. She says, "Tammy, she's so and so's mom is here." And she's like, "What?" She calls the cops and she's ranting and raving with the cops. So by the time the cops get there, we were glad we didn't call the cops there because the mom called the cops, but the cops were called and she got hauled away and. Uh, our social worker said, you need to have a plan. Like, you need to know what you're going to do if you have someone show up in church on Sunday morning with a gun to take a child. Like, what's your plan? Uh, he was a sheriff at the Red Lake High School shootings, and he said that, that thing goes with him everywhere he goes. And he, like, he would not sit in the front of the church here. He'd be in the back so he could watch the door. Like, that's just the way he lives. Because he it was drilled into his mind. He said, you have to have a plan. So we have a plan. <laughs> like, what do you do if a, if a shooter comes into your church? Like, you ever think about that? And so, as the pastor, this is what I have in my head. I don't know if it'll happen. If it ever happens, I hope it never does. But, but I just tell myself, this is my, this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay, if a, if a shooter comes into church, my role is to go back and welcome him. <laughs> and if I perish, I perish. But my, I am the shepherd of this church, and I am to go to give, lay down my life for my sheep. That's what, that's, I'm, I'm to go back and try to defuse the situation and, and, could. now, some people say, well, it'd be better off if we could tackle him, and so he wouldn't shoot anybody, and he would love us later and be grateful we'd done that for him. Well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but what do we do with violence? Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them to hate you. 
Pray for them which despitefully persecute you. Jesus didn't say you won't be shot or you won't die. You know, in Guatemala, and Yolanda might know this better than me, but I believe in Guatemala during the Civil War, um, I think the only one that died was John Troyer. Um, so there was a there was a missionary that was killed, but of the mission of the Christians who turned their back on Christ because they needed to carry a gun to defend themselves, many of those were killed. Okay, so there there's that case, but John did die because he was a Christian. Um, this will happen. You know, the people in Haiti that are kidnapped, I suspect, will have emotional scars that go with them for the rest of their life. There's going to be PTSD. There's what I mean. There's going to be things that the rest of their life they're, that's going to make them startle or, or whatever. That that happens. And Jesus didn't say that isn't going to happen. He just said, "Love your enemies." That verse forty-eight. Be therefore perfect, even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's what we want to do: is to be perfect. That's His standard. Chapter nine, chapter six, and verse nineteen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and seal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor seal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking a thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which is which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. How many of you got this passage figured out and applied? You you got this passage. I don't. I don't know if I don't understand it or if I don't like it or don't want to apply it. Maybe that's why I don't understand it because I don't want to understand it. But isn't it pretty simple? (laughs) Don't worry about tomorrow. Um, Don't worry about your future. Like God's, God's got this. Isn't we just said God's really big? God's got all this stuff. And he says, "Don't lay up treasures for yourselves for tomorrow. They're just gonna, they're just gonna get eaten up by moth and rust." And um, you know, we thought in America we had 
the world by the tail. President Trump was calmly sailing to a second term. He, the economy was good, things were going well, and then this thing called COVID came along and all of a sudden turned the world upside down and we found out that we didn't have control of our lives. We never did. We just thought we did. But people had, they had good jobs, they had all this stuff going for them and it just, it just went backward really quick. You know, we had to stay at home and, and work got really inefficient and supply chains and lumber went up and then lumber came down but everything else went up and um, and now as of last month with inflation your your savings account is now losing 6% a year instead of gaining. You know, the, the, the bank gives you what, 0.1% or something on your savings account? Uh, but it's actually becoming less, worth less about 6% a year. It's like dwindling away in your savings account. And we thought we had life figured out, and we got, but you know, we don't. It's only in Jesus Christ that we have security. And the world says, that's foolish. So, my dad said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And my dad was a giver. He gave a lot. To the Lord. Not to a savings account. Not to a retirement account. And then all of a sudden he gets about 65 and he's like, huh, well now, how am I going to do this? Uh, but this is what it said before. So why wouldn't you just serve the Lord and let the Lord take care of you when you get old? And so to my knowledge, about the only cash that my parents have is the, the money they inherited from my grandparents, which wasn't a lot in the ways of retirement. Um... But you know, he's 70, almost 72, and he's become the local grave digger. He dug over 80 graves this last year. He's a busy man trying to be retired. And uh, he's like, I make more money now than I've ever made. Well, maybe not than ever made, but he's, he's making really good money for what he does. And he's like, I, what am I supposed to do with all this? I said, well, just just think a little bit. There'll, there'll come a time when you might need it, okay? You know? Uh, like God's taking care of it. It's, it's, it's worked out. So I was, and that's the way I've been taught. And so I, I struggle like, it really makes sense to have a retirement account. I really like that idea, okay? I really like, so one of my customers, he has, uh, he, he has his, his savings, his 401k, and he gets his pension, and then his, he gets his wife's pension, plus social security, and his wife died, and he is, He's a little older than my dad. He's making more money now on his retirement than he was when he was working. And his stocks and bonds keep going up in the stock market. You know, it's, it'd be pretty nice to be able to do that. Just kick back and, and relax. And Jesus says, you know, I would like you to de- depend on me. That's, that's the one thing that we don't, we don't like. Uh, we're probably the richest set of Christians it's ever been. And Jesus says, I just want you to depend on me. And we, and we got all these, these plans and I, and I, I don't have a retirement account per se. Um, like, well, maybe I should put some away, you know. The, the ant prepares for winter. I can go, I can look at all kinds of things and say this would be a good thing we should do, you know. Um, a carpenter, when you, when you retire, you just sell your used hammer, which isn't used, worth a whole lot. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of me, for me to look forward that way. Um, and Jesus says, don't worry about it. He's like, you just do what I want you to do. And I'll, and I'll take care of you. Um, 
And that's kind of hard on us. And he just says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, my one class of Bible school, I tell the story of a one of my a friend, it's a guy I know, and he was in his 80s and uh, lived in a house that wasn't his. I believe he rented from his from his uh, son, maybe, or just used it, I'm not sure. They had no retirement. He's still working to try to supplement his income so he can survive. And uh, takes public transportation. Life's not really all that great and easy for this 80-year-old guy. And uh, so I asked my students at Bible school, so how many of you girls would like to be married to someone like that when you're 80 years old? Is that, the, is that your dream person to be married to? Well, no, not really. That's not really what they have in mind. Um, I said, well, let me tell you another story about this man. He's also in his 80s, and this guy's been a missionary. And he's served the Lord for over 40 years in the mission field. Now, you know that Mennonite missions retirement accounts really aren't all that great. There's no great uh, 401k for you there. Um, but he served the Lord with gladness. And he came home from the mission field. He ends up, he goes back for a few months. And, and while he's on the mission field the second time, or in that, after he'd gone back, his, his uh, wife passed away. And hundreds of people came to show their respects to his wife for the work that they had done. Because of him, hundreds and hundreds of people knew the Lord. And they were grateful. Someone brought them the light. And they were grateful for that. Um, he inspired lots of people. My brother was inspired and, and served in his place for a while after he retired. And when Harold Kaufman brought his wife home, people from all over the states came to pay their respects to this dear old saint and his wife that had served the Lord. Now, would you like to be that guy? You know, they always said you never want to be a missionary. You want to be a return missionary, you know, because they come home and they're famous and everyone likes you. Uh, it's better to be a return missionary. So, would oh, Wow. Wouldn't, like, how would you like to be Harold Kaufman when he has served the Lord joyfully all of his life and he has hundreds of people who have come to the Lord because of him or the work that he's inspired and, and, like, that, that's really exciting, right? Like, aren't, wouldn't, that's, that's, everyone in my class thought they would like to be someone like that. That would be good. So which would you rather be? Would you rather be the poor guy with nothing? Or would you rather be Harold Kaufman with a rich spiritual legacy. Well, I'll let you know, they are one and the same. Harold Kaufman has nothing physically. The last I knew, he owns a recliner and a computer. Sits in his apartment. Last time I talked to him, I had to holler in his ear because he can't hear anything. And, oh yeah, he knows who, he remembered Leighton. Yeah, he remembered Leighton, came down there and flew for him. Uh, and when you get... When you're 90 years old, it doesn't really matter if there's money in the retirement account or not. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that I want to be a pauper. Like that's not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm sure not, it, we don't like being poor. I've had times when I had, we, we struggled to know where to find bread. 
maybe not completely out of bread, but there was times when the checking account was down to nothing, you know. There was time. There was one time I went to a team Christmas time, and I went to visit a customer and to give him a bill. A little, I think it was like forty dollars. It wasn't too too much. She gave me a check. I mean, she gave me a, a Christmas card and a and a ham. And uh, we also did. They did our taxes, and so they were giving out Christmas cards. And she's like, "Don't lose the card." And I was like, "Hmm, wonder what's in the card." So I go out of my van, I open it up, and there's, I think it was a hundred dollar bill in the card. Cool. Like, I don't know if I had a cell phone at the time, but, you know, call my wife. Hey, we just got $100. See, we didn't have it. Like, we were down to nothing, okay? We just spent our last dime to buy a vehicle, and we, we didn't have another. Wow! Yeah, that's not really fun. I don't really enjoy, I don't enjoy doing that. But Jesus says, I'll take care of you. And the world says, you know what, you're really foolish to let that guy take care of you because sometimes he'll let you run down to your last dollar. <laughs> In fact, the interesting thing is I ran down to my last dollar and then I was going to sell my old vehicle. I figured it was worth maybe 400 bucks, And it was pretty bad, see. Because the new one I buy, I only paid 2200 for But anyhow, uh, so I, I thought I could sell the old truck the $400, middle of winter, this will get us a little bit, you know, and then I'm in the shower one night and God says, when you sell your truck, give that money away. And I was like, oh, that's, not that. that's not a good idea. I need that money right now. And so all of a sudden this $100 was really, wow, I was, and God took care of us. We survived. Like I've never gone a day without a meal. But I really don't want to get, I really like to make sure I have enough money in the bank to survive. And God says, just don't worry about it. You put your money in the bank, it's going to get eaten away by inflation right now. And the stock market's going to crash. And this, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen. But God does. He can take care of us. And the world says, you're crazy. I'm not sure I have any better option than they do. I have a God that looks out for me. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that tonight to say, i got this passage all figured out. And, I, and if you don't do it, I, I, I don't understand all this. I have savings. I I anticipate that we will have two children that will be living with us probably all of our lives. And there's some money that we get for for uh, some of the services, and that goes into savings because I figure someday I'm going to need to support a couple children. I I don't have this all figured out, but I do know I want to trust the Lord. And Jesus, and Paul said that He is unto us wisdom. To the world it looks like foolishness, but he is our our wisdom. Our debating skills aren't going to save us. Our reasoning isn't going to save us. Um, and Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect. So are we willing to follow Christ even when it looks foolish? Um, we know God's God's way is the best at the end. Like right, right? Don't we know that? Like, we know if we trust God, He's going to get us home safe. And that's the best thing we want. Um, you know, Delvin's trusting the Lord in a new way we've, I've never done. It's hard. But God's got this. He's big. We know that. And the world says, you can't just trust this God. But we can. I'm glad we can. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great wisdom. Thank you for your care for us. And Lord, these are these are hard passages and we, we want to do them well. 
And we want to trust you and we, we want to, we want to do those things which are wise in your sight. But in our human reasoning, they look, they look foolish sometimes. Lord, work in us, teach us. That's a scary idea. But make us to be who you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for this church here and the light in their community and the things that you are teaching them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.